Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. I don't know the first thing about investing my money, and it is all so overwhelming, I wouldn't even know where to begin. I love that Acorns makes it so easy and how you don't need a lot of money to get started. So head to acorns.com creepers or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Paid non-client endorsement may not be representative of all clients. Tier 1 compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at acorns.com creepers. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC, Acorns, is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC. Member FINRA SIPC. For more information, visit acorns.com. This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Hey, before we get started, yeah, did you see one of the latest reviews on Apple? No, I haven't checked them. It really spoke to me. They said, this is a perfect mix of true crime and entertainment for nosy people everywhere who don't want to be scared that they have to sleep with the light on. And if there was anything, like, that sounds like the sentence that should be at the top of my resume. Nosy person who doesn't want to have to sleep with the light on. Like, that would be my now aim screen name. Nosy with the light on. It sounds like a band. They just make our day. Band so, t-shirt. Nosy with the this. light on. <laughs> yeah. Add that to the merch. Nosy with the light on. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogab, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. You teased this episode to me, but I have, I don't know what it is. You don't. I was going to text you like four times about stuff for this, and I was like, no, I'm just going to tell her on air. All right, Mogab. This week. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine. 
But the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. I got another con artist for you. <gasps> oh, yes. Nosy people with the light on. This one's for us. <laughs> Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Mr. Billy McFarland. Oh, and the stop dumpster it. fire that was Firefest. Who orders two million dollars worth of booze, dog? <laughs> that is, I quote that. <laughs> I quote that all of the time. Also, for all you people that say I know nothing about pop culture, I did learn about this not while it was happening. <laughs> she doesn't know like Firefest, so later. I just have to go ahead and assume that every single person listening knows about Firefest if Mogab does. <laughs> yeah, I mean that is fair. I, I didn't, but then I watched both documentaries back to back, and I was like, how did I miss this on Twitter? So then that night, I searched the hashtag and went all the way back from like two years, like past the documentaries, all the way back in Twitter to when it was happening. Okay, okay, okay. I'll focus. All right. Let's go. So there were two documentaries that were released back to back in 2019. (laughs) I'm so excited. (laughs) Within days of each other. They were like competing documentaries. There was Fire on Netflix. And the obviously superior fire fraud on Hulu. We all have our opinions, but oh. that is definitely the right one. The Hulu, Hulu Shit, doc I don't is better. The difference. Mm. Which one has my man in it? The Hulu one, fire fraud. Oh, okay. And those were my main sources this week. That's what I did this weekend. I needed a chill week of just watching a couple documentaries after weeding through a six hundred page book last week. <laughs> Especially with it being what the last last week of school. <laughs> Which, when this episode drops, it will be summer, so I feel like I'm already living in the future. Oh, good for you. I am. Anywho. Love that journey for you. Me too. Anyway, Firefest. So, Mm. back in the spring of 2017, Firefest was going to be the experience of a lifetime, a luxury music festival in an idyllic tropical setting on a private island in the Bahamas. Festival goers were promised a real-life island fantasy with luxury accommodations, gourmet food, and the chance to party with rappers and models. (laughs) People paid hundreds to hundreds of thousands of dollars for their tickets and accommodations for Firefest, expecting a weekend living in the lap of luxury. What they got was something slightly less than that. (laughs) The luxury villas they were promised turned out to be FEMA disaster relief tents. (laughs) (laughs) 
can't. I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm not going to be able to do this. I can't. The, the local seafood, Bahamian-style sushi, and pig roast they were promised turned out to be, you know it, cheese sandwiches. Cheese sandwiches. <laughs> and not even a grilled cheese. In a styrofoam a container. Cheese. No, literally cheese stuck on bread with like a little salad in there. <laughs> Mostly rich millennials with job titles like influencer were suddenly resorting to Lord of the Flies level anarchy just to make sure their most basic needs were met. (laughs) So what happened? Was it a simple explanation of poor planning and bad weather like they said? No, of course not. Or why would I be doing an episode on it? (laughs) (laughs) No, this entire disaster centers around a person named Billy McFarland. The best description of Billy was in the Hulu documentary, where someone said, if you watch videos of him, he just has this same high energy spiel all the time in every single mm-hmm. interview you watch. He's, he's like the ultimate used car salesman, and he really wants to sell you a car, and he'll get you a deal. That's Billy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Billy was born in 1991, and he was raised in New Jersey by real estate developer parents. Oh, no. I really only really? brought that up. I wasn't going to go into his childhood <laughs> because in the Hulu documentary, they have this letter from Billy's mom about him, but they have a computer voice reading the letter. And it is hilarious. Like, Ugh. I'm going to try to do it. I'm going to try to do the voice. Okay. Billy was always ahead of the curve. He was first. <laughs> <laughs> he was first okay. to finish his math times tables. He was scuba diving at age 10. <laughs> It was the best creative decision I've ever seen to have a computer. Was she just like not going to comment on her son's scuba <laughs> she diving wrote, She wrote a letter. And instead of having a voiceover actor do it, they had Siri. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, it sounds like Siri, which is so funny given his like, didn't he? Oh, I'm sure I'll get into it. He's like a tech mogul or something. Wow, well, right? he thinks he is. It all seemed to really start in 2013 when Billy started a company called Magnesis. He was 22 years old and basically thought he was Mark Zuckerberg. He'd had a couple of failed business ventures at this time, and he was constantly on the lookout for the next big idea. It came to him one day when he saw how lame all his friends' credit cards looked when they were all out paying for dinner. (sighs) He wanted a way to make credit cards cooler. So he went out and got a sheet of metal, cut it to be the size of a credit card, transferred the strip from his card to the sheet of metal, and boom, super cool credit card. Is this like a thing people want? Like they kept talking about how much people loved it when they threw their card down and they heard like that clang of metal. Like, is that something you want? I normally don't think that would have been. But now that it's become a thing, like now that that is an option, that's the option people want. Mm. But if that was never an option, all I want is it to have a credit limit that has not been exceeded. Yeah. (laughs) That would be my. That is all I desire in a credit card. (laughs) I just don't get it. Anyway, Magnesis was a credit card catered to millennials that was made from black stainless steel and was marketed as being like the black Amex. It piggybacked off your main credit card, but it came with extra perks. And to get one, you had to join a membership club. And in return, you got deals and discounts around New York. The biggest draw of Magnesis was this clubhouse in the West Village where people could go and network or host events. And they had a wine tasting series, a lecture series, parties, like all sorts of stuff going on there. He met Grant Margolin. He's mostly just called Grant. So 
<laughs> he met Grant, who was a Magnesis member and had tons of ideas on improving the company. So Billy hired him and he just started marketing the hell out of it. Magnesis seemed to be going really well. Billy claimed he'd taken in $2 million in membership fees. For someone so young, he really knew how to reach out to Silicon Valley and private equity firms to get money to build his businesses. He was even able to get this guy, Aubrey McClendon, who was like the heir to one of America's wealthiest families. He was able to get him to invest $500,000 in Magnesis. After Aubrey invested, Billy started dropping tons of money on influencers and musicians to promote Magnesis. He got tons of positive articles written about the company, all influenced by his press team. It was raved about as this exclusive club for hot elite millennials, which wasn't exactly the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember that footage in the video. Yeah. Around this time, Billy meets Jaw Rule. Yes, the rapper from the early 2000s. I don't know how I forgot about him being involved in this. But I just got Um, so much more psyched. Yeah, Ja Ja Rule had gone to prison for a couple years for what he calls Mm -hmm. tax stuff and that gun thing. (laughs) And when he got out, he was looking for the next big thing. God, I love Ja. (laughs) Do you remember the music video with J-Lo and they're like, Oh, now I don't want to say it wrong. I come again on my baby. Like... <laughs> that was a Shanti, but it's the only one I remember. <laughs> I'm deceased. Uh, I'm unwell. So Billy brought him onto Magnesis, but really to just be associated with the company on camera, behind the scenes, he had really nothing to do with it. Watching Jaw Rule go on talk shows in three-piece suits and his little glasses and describe Magnesis was just one of the highlights of my life. Yeah. But Magnesis, the next big thing, was sinking fast. Memberships weren't selling, so they kept trying to come up with ideas that would make it cooler, but they started to sound more and more shady. He'd sell tickets. <laughs> he'd sell tickets to things he didn't actually have, like a private show with Jennifer Lopez or VIP tickets to a Beyonce show. Does Ja Rule really not have connections with J Lo? Because I feel like then what was the point of all of those videos? <laughs> that was just one. He just did one with J Lo. So how what would they do if they didn't have this stuff? What would they? I'll do? tell you. So he sold two hundred tickets to Hamilton, and this is like twenty fifteen. When tickets to Hamilton were literally impossible to get. So it was just a Ponzi scheme. He'd sell tickets to Hamilton to pay for the Beyonce show tickets. Then he'd go and buy Hamilton tickets for like a ridiculous amount of money on StubHub the day of the show, meet the buyers in front of the theater. So then to pay for Hamilton tickets, he decided to sell tickets to the Super Bowl, which he also didn't have. So this is when Billy is learning that he can make money defrauding millennials. He was also sued by the owner of the Magnesis townhouse because it had gotten completely trashed at a party. So the card members no longer had the perk of the townhouse, which was a really big draw for a lot of them. And then what really sunk the ship, his big investor, Aubrey McClendon, was indicted by a federal grand jury on charges linked to rigging the prices of oil and gas. Oh, dang. And then the day after his indictment, he died in a fiery car crash. Wait. Yeah. That feels sketchy. Suspicious. Yeah, no kidding. But that really marked the end of Magnesis. 
Around this time, Billy met Carola Jane, who became one of Billy's most important investors. Before Magnesis totally went under, Billy already had another fraudulent business in the works. He'd gone down to the Bahamas where he met Delroy Jackson, your favorite bartender down there. Oh, (laughs) yes, yes. The Bahamas already had a big history of people coming into the country and scamming them. It's a place where unemployment is very high. And it's still a developing country. And it can be easy to believe far-fetched things are true when you want them to be true. Billy's initial idea was that he wanted to build a creative center in the Bahamas that culminated in an annual festival. It would be a place where (laughs) models could shoot, artists could record. Whatever creative venture you were after, this would be the place to do it. (laughs) Is this at uh, the Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good? Exactly. (laughs) Is he for real? (laughs) And that idea eventually evolved into the Fire app. And the idea behind the Fire app is actually pretty cool. It was going to be like the Uber of booking talent. You'd be able to go to the website, scroll through various types of talent, and even book through the app. It would give people access to acts they never would have had otherwise, where you'd have- I remember that. Yeah. In the documentary, it was like, before obviously I knew what- a dumpster fire, this fire fest would be. When they showed that part of the app, I remember thinking, does this part of it exist? Because this would make sense. Like, this would be cool. Yeah, and it did. It did exist. And it's been rebranded. I'm not sure if it's, like, a really big thing. But people can say a lot of things about Billy McFarland, and they're probably all true. But he is a smart guy. He's very charismatic. And he has this ability to get people to trust him. He's able to maneuver his way around investors and build teams, which are all really great qualities for a young entrepreneur. If he Mm -hmm. ever managed to get his priorities in order, he could have probably made something really successful. So Ja Rule and Grant were both brought over to fire after Magnesis was dead. Ja Rule as like the celebrity behind the app. And apparently this brought a lot of legitimacy to fire, which just goes to show that people will Mm -hmm. believe anything, famous people say. It doesn't even matter which famous person. <laughs> doesn't even matter if they're like past their glory days. Right. I mean, has Jolly even put out new music? I mean, I would be the last person know. to ask. <laughs> For once. <laughs> yeah, me and music, not, not great. Grant was also brought over as the chief marketing officer, and they got a team together who spent about three to five months working on the app. Billy made it seem to investors like it was a real functioning platform, and he started trying to promote it. The idea was thrown out to do a festival for industry professionals in order to network and get acts to join the app, and that evolved into Fire Festival. And the festival was supposed to just be something that promoted this bigger brand of the Fire app. Billy started telling everyone that he'd purchased Pablo Escobar's island, Norman's (laughs) Key, in the Bahamas, in the Exumas. He flew out there, had a great time, and decided that would be the perfect spot for the festival. He said there would be a bunch of celebrities, a million-dollar treasure hunt. It was a fantastic concept. I'm sorry. Wait, I missed the treasure hunt. Yeah, I forgot about that, too. Was that for real? Yeah, he wanted Thank this treasure Thank God hunt. this wasn't advertised for me, because I, you get a couple drinks of me, and I would have been like, yeah, this sounds like a good oh, time. Oh, my friend Stephanie wanted to go to this so bad. <laughs> That's the least surprising thing I've heard. <laughs> she really wanted to go. I mean, honestly, though, Tropical Island, that's my jam. 
Ja Rule, was he going to perform? Because that would have been my jam. My favorite music festival I've ever been to is Hangout Fest, and it's in Gulf Shores. It's a music festival on the beach. It's so cool. It's so much fun. Like, I mean, I it's not in the Bahamas. It's in Alabama, but Ugh, it's like beautiful. Music festival in Hawaii I want to go to. Ooh. And I feel like that would be this, minus like Pablo Escobar and sure, you know, yeah. other things. It was a fantastic concept if it was real. He decided marketing should come before logistics because why not? He'd figured out he he'd figure out all those little details later, but before he did that, he wanted to promote the festival. His vision of the festival was luxury villas, private yachts, exclusive dinners with artists, the kind of festival culture that's like we can create our own society here temporarily. He wanted to compete mm-hmm. with Coachella, where only the wealthy can afford to have a comfortable experience. The place where you can take pictures that say, I've got money and tons of friends and I'm young and attractive and carefree in my appropriated headdress. <laughs> Sign me up for all of that, yeah. please. Yeah. He wanted to tap into the FOMO of millennials, that fear of missing out. Firefest was going to be the event of the century and you didn't want to miss it, especially when word got out that Ja Rule was working in this high-end event. He was actually telling everyone who would listen that he was the co-founder of Fire. Ja Rule was. Yeah. Five months before the festival was supposed to take place. Five months. <laughs> Billy hired an advertising and marketing team to come out to Norman's Key and shoot a commercial for Firefest. I'm like stressed. Like it should already be set up. <laughs> they haven't done anything. He was, I know. he was basically selling a pipe dream to like average middle America. A dream vacation. And what's the best way to do that? Models. He got (laughs) 10. It's actually impressive, the models he got. Like 10 of the top models to do the commercial. We're talking Bella Hadid, Emily Ratajkowski, Kendall Jenner, Haley Baldwin, now Bieber. Like really famous, famous models. Justin Bieber got married. Yeah, to Haley Baldwin, now Bieber. Billy Grant and Ja Rule were there, too, of course, and they told the camera crew to just capture everything. They wanted it to look like this dream vacation. So catch everything and we'll figure out what to put in later. But the whole time they were just partying and the crew was there to capture everything. They wanted to tap into a culture and a zeitgeist they believed in and they marketed the hell out of it. They hired Jerry Media to do the social media marketing. Jerry Media was one of the original influencers with the Instagram fuck Jerry, which was like, oh, they're the worst. They rip everyone's content off. I know. It was like a meme comedy page, but really they were just stealing other comedians' work and then posting it with no attribution or like with the person's name actually snipped out of the images they were posting. So they were able Mm -hmm. to do that and create this really successful company, which sucks. They made the what do you mean game, though, which I did like that game. Oh, it's not a bad game. Anyway, Jerry Media put this guy, Orin Axe, in charge of the Firefest social media campaign, and he had an idea for a visual disruption on Instagram. So when you're scrolling, 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 everything kind of starts to run into each other. It all just looks the same. And they wanted to do something that would make people stop and pay attention. So in one of the biggest coordinated social media influencer campaigns ever, on December 12th, 2016, they had 400 of the biggest influencers on Instagram post an orange tile with the caption that said, join me at Fire Festival. 
And seeing that orange tile over and over again would make people stop just out of a combination of confusion and excitement to see what was happening. Yeah, curiosity. And curiosity. When they clicked on the tile, they would be taken to the promo video for Firefest featuring the biggest models today in the most beautiful location ever. And the video went viral immediately. The promo was basically like what Instagram would look like if it was real life. They also paid influencers like Kendall Jenner a ridiculous amount of money to post about Firefest. So Kendall posts one saying that Good Music Family were the headliners for the festival. And when Kendall posts about it, without saying it's an ad or a paid post, people then think that her family is involved with the festival. And now everyone thinks Kanye is going to be there. (laughs) (laughs) That's how that happened? That's how that happened. Other headliners announced were Blink-182, Diplo, and Little Yachty, among others. Little Yachty? (laughs) Yeah, you said it right. No, I said Little (laughs) So they've got the word out. They're selling different levels and they've got sketches of all the different places you can stay up on their website and different price points. The lowest. Oh, they were sketches. They were sketches. They were. (laughs) They were sketches because they did not exist. Yeah. Step one would have been ordering the villas (laughs) and assembling those. The lowest was the rustic tent. It was going for a Coachella glamorous kind of vibe. There were private yachts, even a $250,000 package for a private yacht with a chef on board. And people are pumped about this festival. They're selling out general admissions tickets almost immediately. Within 24 hours, they'd sold 95% of their tickets. And that is a huge accomplishment for a first-year festival. This is looking like it's going to be the Woodstock of the millennial generation. Like, they really tapped into all these big trends. It was going to be the new Coachella, the new Burning Man. There was a million-dollar treasure hunt, cuisine unlike anything you've had. Just a got a lot of follow-up <laughs> questions there. <laughs> a totally immersive experience. People were quitting their jobs because their boss wouldn't give them the day off. Stop they it. They were selling off their stuff to be able to afford to go. And I mean, I, look, I feel sorry for none of those people because even if the festival had been a success – They still would have had to live with those consequences. So, yeah, had Firefest been what it was supposed to be, you still shouldn't (laughs) sell your things to afford a ticket. All of this is happening, but absolutely nothing has been built. There's not even an actual site for the festival. Billy is telling everyone he bought Norman's Key, where they shot the commercial, with a freehold purchase agreement. So he'd own it forever for like $10 million. And he said he had this whole story. He said he'd put down a million and he had so much time to pay the rest off. He said he was dealing with Pablo Escobar's family and lawyers. But But the real owner of the key didn't want it to be known as the cocaine drug haven of Pablo Escobar. And he told Billy not to ever use the name Pablo Escobar. But of course, it was in the promo video. Yeah. (laughs) Pablo Escobar's Island. He talked about it in his first social media tweet. The owner saw the promotional video and kicks them off in one shot. Isn't my man Pablo dead? Yeah. Okay. That's why he was dealing with his family and lawyers. Right. This is all happening about eight weeks before the festival was supposed to kick off. For a music festival anywhere, you need an incredibly big infrastructure. But in the Bahamas, that's probably the most difficult place you could do it. You should start the design and fundraising at the very least 12 months out. Most places said 18 months out. 
People plan their weddings. Okay. People plan weddings. They need more than 12 months. Okay. Oh my about. God. I, okay. Putting it in that context because with fire, the core team had less than two months to plan this thing. You think about planning a wedding in two months, people would tell you you're insane, much less an entire music festival for like thousands of people. I mean, in a, a foreign wedding, country. You're like, okay. Yeah, a wedding, you're like, oh, here's the room block at the resort we're staying at in, you know, this island. No, you're having to build the hotel that people are staying at on this island on top of. I mean, God, I'm. Oh, my God. I cannot believe. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Uh, I'm like dying at this. Even if they hadn't gotten kicked off of Norman's Key, the island would not have worked for the festival. It was only 40 acres, so you couldn't even physically fit that many people on the island. It couldn't hold more than a thousand people, and they what? Yeah, and they sold over eight thousand tickets. Also, there was zero infrastructure on that island. It was a completely deserted island. The team is like, you need to think about toilets, not models. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was. That was going to be my follow up question. Is like, uh, where are people using the restroom? Yeah. One idea they had was to get a cruise ship out there and like dock it just off the island and then bring like kind of shuttle people on and off the island in little dinghies for the festival. And like, I don't totally hate that idea. Like, it's not what people paid for, but it's not a terrible idea. Everybody would have a room. You could have fun stuff going on on the ship too. And then you could like you know, but of course you're going to be shuttling stupid drunk people and somebody will die. But that idea was nixed because Billy really had his heart set on these tents. And also he'd cool. already been selling them, you know. he Yeah, well, he wouldn't, they still don't exist. Right. He wouldn't listen when one employee, Keith, told him the tents wouldn't work. They wouldn't be safe. He said the wind was so loud. There were so many mosquitoes. He's like, you can't do tents without air conditioning here. So uh, Keith was fired. And in fact, thank goodness. Good for I'm sure he's (laughs) glad about that. No kidding. And in fact, they did a huge personnel change around February or March because most of the people on the team at that time could tell that it wasn't going to happen. So they fired all of them and brought on new people that had no idea what a shitstorm it already was. Oh, that sucks. So it's around February now. The festival is in April. And they're scrambling to find a location for it. (laughs) They finally land on Great Exuma, the biggest island in the Bahamas, so it at least already had plumbing. The site they picked was called Roker Point Estates. It was on a hill where there was a housing development construction site that was hazardous. It needed a ton of work. It was a complete gravel pit. You know, they're selling this video that's like beautiful water and sandy beaches. And then they get this gravel pit, concrete, rubble, barren wasteland. I remember the pictures. It was like just those white like rocks, you know, like the chunky. It was just it was literally concrete, like just paved concrete. And the site was basically this like squiggly circle that went around this small body of water. I couldn't really figure out another way to describe it. And there were these giant drop-offs around the water. Like, it was like cliffs. And no one even thought about putting fences up there or anything. Also, they've they've promoted it as this luxury getaway on a deserted island in the Bahamas, but the beach was five miles away from the site. Oh. 
It's basically a parking lot right next to Sandals. So they're selling a fantasy dream vacation on a deserted island, and he's not even offering them Sandals level. (laughs) I mean, even a wedding planner would have known on site, no freaking way. It can't be done. No way. Especially since they booked the festival on the same weekend as the National Regatta, which is bigger than Christmas in Great Exuma. Like, it's their big thing. It's the busiest weekend of the entire year. All of the hotels would be rented out. There wouldn't be a single car available on the island. Hotels are booked up a year in advance. They had booked things that didn't exist, like villa packages. They had to find housing across the island for 500 guests. They'd oversold the lodge packages, which were tents on the main site. And the villas had been designed by Grant on like AutoCAD or something. And on the websites, they were just the drawings. I've got a stomachache. I know. Could you imagine being involved in this? Like, I would be like just a stress ball. They were trying to sell the villas for $50,000, $100,000. There was that $250,000 package. But those villas did not exist. Billy must have thought someone would be able to like throw up villas real cheap because he kept selling them. Yeah, what was his plan? Like, truly, like what in his brain was he like, okay, I know – that people have paid for this. Like, was he not worried? Like, during the work day, was he still like, oh, let's take a no, lunch break? No, I think he got like- so confident because he'd always worked out everything before. He was able to get 200 people Hamilton tickets and then God, sell Super no, Bowl this tickets. This ain't no musical, though. To pay off that. You know? So he was planning on using all of their money to build the things. Like, he thought he could just build the things. <laughs> And I, I did do, he even have a stage built? There's been, yeah, they did erect a stage and it was a really nice stage. Yeah. Billy must have thought someone would be able to throw up villas really cheap because he kept selling them every time he had someone else he needed to pay. He'd sell a $25,000 villa when he needed to pay the sound guy or whatever. Billy is so short on cash. He's trying desperately to pay everyone off that he resorts to a crime we like to refer to as wire fraud. He's securing vendors by promising them wire transfers. He sends screenshots of a confirmation page, but like cuts off the tracking number and he wasn't really wiring the money. But he would get whatever product he needed. They told influencers that they'd get housing for free for one post on social media. About 250 influencers were promised a one bedroom, three person villa on a beach that didn't exist. Even the beach didn't oh exist. <laughs> yeah, you're not building that. No. The scale. I can't believe it. I'm like sweaty and like I've got a stomachache of stressing. And like I've already watched two documentaries on this. I already know what happens. No one is getting murdered. And I'm like. Oh, yeah. And just. The scale <laughs> of this project was just Lashes. enormous. The locals on Great Exuma were told that Fire had a lot of money and they would be renting cars in Great Exuma and flying in private jets. The locals all thought this is going to be the next big thing. And they were told it was supposed to go on every year for at least five years so that if they did their job well, they'd get to keep that contract, which would be really good money for them. And so they wanted to hold up to that expectation so they'd continue getting the contract every year. So the locals there are working so hard. They worked day and night, 18 to 19 hour days, sleeping an average of three hours a night. 
Every day, everyone was scrambling. They literally had to build a city in a city. They needed waste disposal, restrooms, water. It was a shit show. A hundred day laborers working around the clock. Billy told them they needed more workers. And the closer it got to the festival, it seemed like almost every able-bodied living soul on the island was working for Firefest. This is not okay. Like, yo, and those people all had to be fed. So a local restaurant would feed them. And mind you, not a single one of them has been paid yet. Oh, at all? No, not at all. When anyone came to Billy to say, hey, man, this is so obviously not going to happen. You should definitely cancel. He would say, we're not a problem focused group. We're a solution focused group. Oh, synergy yeah. or whatever, you know, exactly. like, but like he can't cancel because he can't refund people. Right. He actually couldn't cancel because he didn't even have festival insurance. Like he couldn't cancel. He's like, we need to have a positive mindset. He wouldn't take no for an answer. He wouldn't be realistic about any of it. If he had just scheduled the dang festival for April of 2018. You need two years minimum. Yeah. Two years. And he could have really put on an awesome festival. You can't give yourself six months and say, we can do it, champs. Let's just pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and get it done. You you can't. So even the most basic things aren't coming together, like bathrooms. But Billy decides he wants to bring a pirate ship on over to the Bahamas. (laughs) What? And he's obsessed with this idea. And they're like, Billy, we don't have places for people to sleep. And he's like, pirate ship, make it happen. They can shoot me out of this cannon and I'll do a backflip and it'll be awesome. And everybody will be like, yeah, Billy. I don't think that's exactly (laughs) what he said, but I bet that was what he was thinking. (laughs) That's good enough. So the team goes and... What a... Imbecile. (laughs) So the team goes and tries to make it happen because he's like insistent on this pirate ship. Meanwhile, they're having to ship in porta potties because the luxury bathrooms he promised aren't going to happen. There was this urgent email about the bathrooms. And one of the replies was, well, nobody's eating because they had no food. So nobody's pooping. (laughs) Oh, my God. I can't believe like I've I truly believe I would be like. I quit. I'm out of here. Like, I cannot watch this. I would be terrified for people to arrive to that. No kidding. Wouldn't you be? Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. 
Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Major Lazer was also like going to be one of the headliners at Firefest. So they went on a tour of the site and they saw that there was no access to electricity or running water. And they were concerned about the infrastructure, but the fire team just sounded so confident, like, don't worry about it. We got it covered. It's fine. But it was just chaos. Billy was spending money at outrageous rates and speed, but payments were late. Fire media employees were not getting paid. And Billy was basically selling villas that didn't exist to get more money for the festival. It's like Anna Delvey Mm -hmm. with her Center for Kids Who Can't Read Good. He just figured that it would all just work itself out. The festival would be a success. They'd be able to pay everyone. Everything would be great. I didn't even think about the people that worked for – so obviously the people that are native to the island are not getting paid, which is tragic. But I feel like maybe there's a language barrier or maybe they don't necessarily like – are as worried because they think, you know, they'll get paid at the end. Uh And maybe this is the most lucrative opportunity. But you know, these millennials that are working for Billy that are used to getting paid on the first and the 15th. Yeah. I would lose my shit. If I don't get a paycheck. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not working for you anymore. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. At one point he tells them like, I'm not firing you. I'm just letting you know that, um, there is no more payroll. And they're like, um, okay, so you won't fire us so we can collect unemployment. You're going to make us – you're just not going to pay us anymore. And he's like, I have no idea how this will affect unemployment benefits. Uh, I'd be like, you need to fire me. Do you think he would like fire people in an email and then instead of an I put a Y – like you've been fired. <laughs> like I just I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Oh, really is. <laughs> but Billy continues to quote unquote fundraise a couple of weeks before the festival while attendees are really getting amped up, ready to go, excited to go. They all receive an email saying that Firefest will be a completely cash free event and they will pay for everything on the island with preloaded wristbands. Oh, I forgot about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not totally outside of the norm. Like a lot of festivals do use cashless wristbands, but those are usually festivals in like an area with like decent access to Wi-Fi. The bracelets would not have worked on Great Exuma, but Billy did not care. Every week. Yeah. Every week I see someone new post their magic bands for Disney. Like, do you know what I mean? There's like five things Mm -hmm. on it. You know, the, like, little box. Like, that's what I'm picturing. You, like, walk up to, you know, a place with electricity and scan in to get on your ride. Exactly. Like, (laughs) yes, exactly. And the email, Billy didn't care. And the email was sent out recommending people put on at least $300 per day onto their bands, but then warning them that they need to put a lot more on there if they're wanting to do any add-ons later. Fire Media employees even started calling attendees and aggressively asking them to load money onto the wristband. But yeah, like you said, really, this was just a ploy of Billy's to pay for the festival. It was just like what he'd done to try and save Magnesis. This plan raised $2 million. I mean, yes, not okay. So he's an idiot, but like, he's strategic. Like, that's... Mm -hmm. The most logical thing to add on to this at this point to get people to add money. Yeah. In fact, everyone thought Billy was this magician of a fundraiser. Like he'd fly off to New York and just come back with $3 million in his pocket to spend. Then he started putting up cabanas for $50,000 just to see if anyone would buy them. 
And then there was also this term sheet from Comcast Ventures to Fire Media with an investment of $90 million into Fire Media, like the app, not necessarily the Mm -hmm. festival. But on the term sheets, Billy indicated that the Fire app was way more profitable than it actually was. And that's the point where this whole thing went from just screwing rich millennials to an actual crime. He then goes and takes out a $3 million loan with a 120% interest rate where he'd oh, yeah, where he'd have to make a payment of $500,000 within 16 days. And then he orders alcohol. Mogab. Oh. Do you have any idea how much money he spent on booze? <laughs> no, I do. I know that he ordered $2 million worth of booze, dog. <laughs> Who orders $2 million, $2 million dollars. Dollars worth of booze, dog? Dollars worth of booze, dog. <laughs> Sometimes when we order sangria pitchers and our bill's like $10, I'm like, who ordered $10 worth of booze, dog? Who? Who did it? <laughs> and the duty on liquor in the Bahamas is 45%. <laughs> so that's $900,000 in taxes <laughs> on alcohol. So it's more like... Who ordered three million dollars? Million dollars worth of <laughs> Yes. So oh. this guy Kelvin Wells gets word of Firefest. Wait, sorry, I just realized that he ordered all of that three million dollars worth of booze dog with no food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this guy Kelvin Wells, he was like a, a finance guy. He gets word of Firefest. So Calvin starts investigating Firefest. And he discovers they'd rented an area in the Bahamas north of a Sandals resort. And in all the pictures of the site posted on their website, they just like photoshopped the bottom half of the island out to make it seem like the site was its own just private island. When really they're right next door to a Sandals. Yeah. I'm not sure why Calvin became so obsessed with Firefest, but I'm here for it because he then decided <laughs> to create the Twitter account Fire Festival Fraud. And he thought it would blow up. Like everyone would see what a scam it was, but nothing happened. He got very little engagement, but he was posting all of their secrets. Even the Fire Media team was told to stay away from Twitter because they were all being lied to and Billy and Co. didn't want him finding out. Ugh. I need to find this guy's Twitter. Maybe I have already seen it. I don't remember. So Calvin started going harder. He took a plane down there and photographed the development and what they were working on. I mean, this guy was really obsessed. <laughs> I was going to say, that's some petty receipts. Yes. Like, I'm going to buy a ticket. Yes. I'm going to get a plane. And this is like a point. private, okay. like, this is like a private little plane. So he can get out there and, like, take pictures of it and stuff. They saw all those white dome tents squeezed together all over the site that were supposed to be the luxury villas but were actually leftover FEMA disaster relief tents from Hurricane Andrew. Nothing close to a luxury villa. And he's like, no way are they going to pull this off. He just kept thinking, how are 20,000 people getting to this island when you're saying they're all getting there by Cessna plane? Like, logistically, how would that work? But I looked it up, and they only actually sold 8,000 tickets to Firefest, And I think that's oh. split between the two weekends. So it wasn't really 20,000 planes, but still. So Calvin goes to the Wall Street Journal, and he gives them everything he knows about fire. And once they posted their article, he figured, all right, I've done my part. It's dead. Fire is dead. But fire hit back with a social media punch, and they got articles in vogue. 
So people started asking very legitimate questions on Instagram, like, can we see pictures of the living quarters so we know what to bring? Or, hey, Uh I haven't heard anything about my flight. Can I get my flight information? Like, they were getting bombarded. And they just kept telling people to email concierge at firefest.com. But they're like, "Um, they're not responding. And their questions started getting deleted. Someone would post a question and it would just immediately be deleted. They were deleting any negative comments, which is a huge red flag. I mean, the social media team should have seen that as a huge red flag. In the Netflix documentary, Fuck Jerry is a producer of that documentary. They were involved in making it. Yes. And they kind of sweep it under the rug. They're saying they had no idea what was happening on the production side of things. Like, but... Orson Axe in the Hulu documentary, he said that that's absolutely not true. He was in charge of the social media campaign for Fire. He worked for Jerry Media. And he said they knew it was bad. And at the very least, they should have known it was bad by the fact that they were having to delete all these comments. And it got so bad, they weren't just deleting comments. They started filtering out any comments containing words like artist, fake, drop, Info, information, lineup, details, flight, fraud, stupid, scam. They even had to filter out the word festival. That's how bad it got. (gasps) They were so good at silencing the dissenters that no one was listening to Calvin as he's screaming this information from the rooftops. And then FireKey went up. FireKey.com went up. And the sole purpose of that website was to destroy the festival. Now, they were posting photos day by day of what was really going on on the island. So it was somebody involved with the production. And it was things that only senior people in the festival would know. Like, it was like WikiLinks. Confidential meetings were getting out (laughs) word for word. Yeah. I forgot about that. So the event producer, Andy King, he'd known Billy for several years. He'd hosted events for him at Magnesis. After Fire Key went up, he told Billy they really needed to get the word out that this was not a luxury music festival. People are not staying on yachts and in villas. They're going to come and stay in a disaster relief tent. That's what we've got. I mean, literally the term glamping is even an over-exaggeration at this point. Oh, 100%. This is not even glamping. And Andy's like, if we can get that message out, then we can manage expectations and we can still maybe salvage this thing like people are gonna find out sooner or later coming (laughs) they're coming but billy wouldn't budge he was like no if we just tell them it's luxury they'll feel luxurious (laughs) (laughs) it's actually the exact opposite oh my god i'm gonna feel outraged yes that i don't even have a toilet And canceling was not an option. They didn't have insurance. They'd made promises to investors that in the event of a cancellation, the investors would get their money back, which they could not do. And there was just too much momentum, so much force behind it, they couldn't stop. Ten days until the festival, and they don't have enough tents. 250 (laughs) people wouldn't have a place to stay. And the houses they'd managed to find and secure weren't getting paid. Everyone is telling Billy, it's not going to work. He said, you have 10 days. 10 days. And and he said, if you want to leave, you can leave. If you're not going to leave, we're here to find solutions. Yeah, no, I am on the first flight out, sir. Peace. 
It's now seven days out. And they know they won't have enough accommodations. Billy said in the in the documentary that they had 250 houses rented for like millions of dollars with pictures of receipts of all the houses. He said they had a box of physical keys and it just went missing. Uh, Billy, sir. <laughs> Billy. Like you are making this. I just am picturing like his little like just uh-huh. digging, mm-hmm. digging his ditch. Like, And when they asked him, like, why didn't you tell that to the guests? That the box of keys went missing. He just sits there and like blinks awkwardly. Mm. And the answer is probably mm. because he just made that story up. He's still. Yeah, because that's not ownership. I mean, he does all the time. It was me. It was my choices. It was this. It was that. But then he backtracks on that all the time. He's like, well, actually, I had a box of keys to these houses. And actually, <laughs> some people did get villas. And actually, the tents were really nice. <laughs> did one person actually get a villa? One person. Right. Did any one person? Yeah, I mean, they were in the documentary, and they're like, we feel kind of bad. <laughs> but then they're dancing. Oh, so some people did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Some people did get villas. They did have houses because they had a guy go around and just, like, knocking on doors, asking people, hey, can we, like, have your house for the weekend? So mm-hmm. some people were able to get houses, but... There was like 350 people, 250 people that had no place to stay in the Bahamas. They got to the Bahamas. They had no place to stay. I mean, I just don't even know what I would do. And at this point, they also no longer have radio communication because Billy didn't pay the bill. One day out and their music. I just don't don't even know what you want me to say. Like, I I just can't keep reacting in absolute disbelief. I'm running out of facials. Oh. So one day out, and their music festival consultant, Mark Weinstein, who'd been hired 45 days earlier. Yeah, he hates his life. <laughs> he hates it. He sent an email to Grant and Billy. He's like, I've tried to warn you. We are out of time. We are one day out without enough beds to safely house paid guests, and we need to cancel. And so then he painted him a picture. He's like, imagine 300 guests landing on a remote island, being herded onto school buses, brought to a festival site that is unfinished, only to realize they have nowhere to sleep and they have no way to get home because there are no chartered flights. There is no worse situation than that. Literally none. I can confirm there is no worse situation. This is Billy's response to that email. At least they will see your smiling face and crazy yoga skills because he was going to be a yoga instructor at the event. I'm sorry. That is that was the response. At least they'll still see your smiling face and crazy yoga skills. Like that, that just shows you how completely out of touch he is with the reality of what's happening. Nobody cares about Mark Weinstein's smiling face when they don't have a place to sleep. On a luxury holiday, they were promised. Yeah, you give me two pieces of white bread and a slice of American cheese, and I don't care about anything else. Yeah. And other than <laughs> why I'm eating this trash. And Mark was pissed. But then that night, as hundreds of foam mattresses are laying outside of FEMA tents, it starts to pour. Oh, yes. <laughs> the torrential downpour. Yes. I forgot about like this. Like thunder, lightning, monsoon level pouring. The mattresses get soaked. Any tent that was done is now completely unlivable. 
and guests are arriving at 6.20 that night. The attendees were so excited for this festival. Like what was promised to them sounded amazing. And the fire team had done a pretty spectacular job keeping all the negative attention away. But there were several red flags that happened before they even left U.S. soil. (laughs) The first was that day, Blink-182 sent out a message that they were pulling out of the festival. They Because they heard? Well, they released a statement that said they were not confident that they would have what they needed to put on a quality show. So they weren't being really clear. It was kind of vague. And then mm-hmm. attendees were promised a branded private jet experience, but really they were jam-packed in an old plane that was less comfortable than your basic economy class. Ooh, I'd be scared that, I mean, I'm glad they got there safely. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There's no deaths associated with fire festivals. No, there's not. But Billy says that the only reason, he said it in Dumpster Fire, that the only reason that he decided to cancel was because there were rumors going around that somebody had died, which nobody nobody died. Nobody was injured in the making of Firefest, <laughs> except for people's bank accounts and trust. So Firefest has the very last minute idea to reroute attendees to a bar and close off the campsite to like give themselves more time to put it together. But they were screwed. The the rain had destroyed everything. And the restaurant had less than half an hour notice before hundreds of guests started showing up. They all think yeah. this is like the first step of what's going to be an amazing experience. And so they're having a great time. They're out there partying. Meanwhile, at the campgrounds, everything is soaking wet mud was getting into all the tents they already didn't have enough of anything and now they have basically nothing attendees were held at the bar for six hours and they were just getting alcohol funneled to them they started asking the restaurant questions they were getting antsy they wanted to get going to the festival so now you're like hammered Mm -hmm. and you don't even have like a dry bed or bathroom right like i just can't uh-uh. <laughs> right. And then they put you in that situation without telling you, like, you're expecting to be able to go and, like, maybe, yeah, have a good night's sleep that night. So Billy decided that it was time to let people into the campsites and just see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. So they pack yeah, them into sure. these yellow school buses with no one from Firefest on the actual bus. And the bus driver's telling them all, you know, they just started building this a month ago and just wait till you see what you're in for. Oh, no. And then they turn the corner and they see all of the FEMA tents come into view. And there's Amazon boxes piled everywhere. There's wet foam mattresses in piles everywhere. Oh, anarchy. It's just, Just yeah, a barren gravel wasteland with disaster relief tents and nobody could believe it. At first, they all thought maybe the villas were behind on the other side and they're just like passing through this area. And when they realized this was their luxury accommodation, some people just started crying. (laughs) (laughs) Only about 50 tents were ready, but plenty of liquor. There were pallets of liquor set up next to little kiosks that said bar. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Two million dollars worth of booze, dog. A line formed of like 600 people, but nobody knew what they were standing in line for. Billy told someone to just blast the music and the hostesses are trying to check people in, but they couldn't hear anything over the music. Check them into what? They're, yeah, they're tents of nothing. (sighs) Then the luggage didn't arrive for five to six hours. 
When it finally arrived, they came in shipping containers, and the white glove concierge service they promised turned out to be a couple of guys just tossing the luggage out. No organization at all. People had to fight through to try and find their bags. It was complete chaos. The festival workers had managed to get like 400 people checked in when Billy decides to just jump on a table with a beer in his hand and announce to the crowd that if they purchased a villa, they should just go grab a tent. (laughs) So what once was semi-organized structure is now Lord of the Flies sprinting for shelter. Hundreds of people start racing to the tents, and they go full-on insane. This guy, Justin Liao, who I have no problem using his full name, because he actually admitted in the Netflix documentary that they didn't want any neighbors near them, so they just started destroying the tents all around them, (gasps) poking holes in them, flipping mattresses. He actually said in a documentary airing on Netflix that his buddy went around peeing on the beds in the other tents so they wouldn't have to be by other people. There's already not enough tents. (laughs) I mean, neighbors, you're in this situation. You're worried if someone's next to you. Right. Like, that's That's where we're at. That's your concern. People were just grabbing mattresses. It was this looting mentality. Someone had an entire pallet of toilet paper that they were hauling back to their tent. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean it this was that was me like last year when i found some at target so <laughs> no you know i bought one at a time thank you very much and i i well, made I the like announcement i made the announcement i'm actually out of toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> i bet you nobody did, judge too. me i'm actually i need it i'm totally out <laughs> clearly people were panicking And things could have gone terribly wrong. I mean, you know, you asked if anybody died. They're lucky that nobody did die or get hurt at all. Yeah, like trampled when you release everyone to go find a tent. Yes. At night, it got really dark. There were no lights. A woman came in a panic in the middle of the night. She couldn't find her friend. She was lost. She was drunk. By the end of the night, all of the tents were full with just a third of the guests they were supposed to have. (gasps) Oh. So people start tweeting out about what Firefest actually is, and they started going viral. And oh, I can't goodness. believe you missed this. This was one of just the, I know. the joys of my life. The one I specifically remember seeing was the cheese sandwich post, and I didn't see it on Twitter. I saw it on like a BuzzFeed article. I was going to say, I'm on Twitter, I and I feel like you're not. So how did I miss it? I saw that cheese sandwich post, which is like, you know, they're promising all this amazing food. You're loading $3,000 onto your bracelet for food and drinks, and then you get this cheese sandwich in a styrofoam to-go box. (laughs) Then Billy's lawyers start issuing cease and desist orders to anyone posting negative things on social media about the festival. I know. Uh, no. Yeah, they're saying they'll sue them if they don't remove the posts. What? Which is obviously just a scare tactic. They couldn't have sued them for anything. It's not slander if it's true. (laughs) Yeah. And like, this is my personal social media and I'm at this event. Right. But like back on land, people, including myself, stoked to watch this thing go down. Oh, I'm sure. There was like a gleeful response on social media. Like, I thought this whole thing was hilarious because nobody got hurt. Okay, let me clarify. Like, nobody got hurt. Like, the worst thing that happened to the, the attendees was... 
they were out some money. They had a bad time in the Bahamas. I'm terrified. I'd be terrified. But yeah. yeah. Well, I almost would feel more sorry for someone, and this probably isn't okay, but if they paid like 150 bucks to go to a festival and something like it went down. But if you are willing to quit your job mm-hmm. and pay this much money for one weekend, right. like yeah. you need a little bit of reality check. A little bit. You know? A little bit. I don't know. So the acts are canceled. Things just fall apart. And it wasn't until that day that Billy realized it was over, that it wasn't going to happen. So Grant drafts an official response to explain it all. And he starts the draft with, due to circumstances outside of our control. Uh, And everyone's like, do not lie again. This is your chance to tell the truth. Everything about this was perfectly within your control. Except for the storm. And the storm, like, it ruined something that was already not going to happen. Like, it just made it worse. Yeah, of course the storm ruined it. You were staying in tents. That, that wasn't part of the plan. Right. So Firefest was officially canceled after all these people had come in with no food on the island, no place to stay. Like, what did he think was going to happen? Did he think it was going to go great? Like... Yes. He couldn't have canceled it before they came in. He needed to wait. Like he no, thought that he Mark gotten... He thought Mark's smiling face and yoga moves would make everything okay. I mean, even if he would have I mean, I know he got in trouble and everything. We'll get to that. But like even if he would have canceled it before the bands, like the wristbands, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a mass run on the airports. People had been drinking all day doing drugs. One guy passed okay. out and had to be taken to the hospital. But finally, a plane comes, and they all get on the plane. And then the head count doesn't match the manifest. There are 111 names on the manifest, 112 people on the plane, and the U.S. wouldn't let them return. So they make them all get off the plane, and this is like 4 in the morning. Then they get everybody back on the plane, and then they announce the crew has to leave because they've been on too long. But I'm like, didn't you know that? And I wonder about this every single time because I'm like, Is that a surprise to you? You don't know that clock's ticking down when you're boarding people onto the plane. So I would like to know there's a flight attendant out there or a pilot that can tell me why. Why does that happen? You know that their time is running out. So everyone gets off the plane again and they have to go into the airport and the airport locks the doors like they put chains on the doors, lock them all in the airport waiting room. And the airports people are like, well, we had to do that because if we let someone out, they could have lit a cigarette and blown up a fuel truck. And I'm like, why could they have blown up a fuel truck? That seems unsafe to me. (laughs) If it's that easy to blow up a fuel truck. Yeah, like what about all the people that aren't locked in normally? (laughs) Right. So they sent an email saying, day one, we had a rough start, but day two is going to be awesome. No. Yes. No. Yes. But they just sent all these people back. Well, no, the people are just leaving. They ended up canceling it the next Uh, day. But yeah. No, those people were just like, get me the hell off this island. Where did their plane? Was that in New York? I feel like I remember seeing all those. I saw like photos of people. It was in the Bahamas. In the airport. Oh, that was still. Yeah, they they hadn't left the Bahamas. No, they would would never have locked people in an airport waiting room in, in New York. Okay, that's what I thought. But and I was the confused. waiting room wouldn't have been that small. small. Yeah. But Firefest weren't just in hot water with the guests and the world laughing at them. 
they were in major hot water with the Bahamas. Fire's promises started to collapse. Car companies came and took their keys. House owners said they wanted their properties returned. The head construction guy came to Andy, the festival producer, and said he wanted Mm -hmm. $26,000 in cash and just followed him around. Attendees got their lawyers involved and they filed a 100 million class action lawsuit. I just can't believe that one person, Billy McFarlane, has literally decimated an island's like mm-hmm. a con- not their economy, but yeah. I mean, he has. Like he de- he just absolutely like yeah, ruined this place, these people's lives. Yeah. So this lawsuit named every single person that advertised for it in the lawsuit. But Mm. even the fire media employees didn't know how bad fire was going to be. So I don't really blame the influencers for not like promoting it without knowing. The big problem was that they didn't put like hashtag advertisement or ad on any of the posts. And it made it seem like they were all actually going to be there and like were part of it. It was different. And so they were sued. Is that why now they have to do yeah. that? Like, now I see a bunch of stuff that says mm-hmm. ad. Was it because of this? Uh, it, I'm not totally sure because that is how it is now. I think they always should have done that. But I bet people are more careful because Kendall Jenner had to pay like $90,000. She got yeah. fined for for this. But nobody is to blame as much as Billy McFarland. Billy went to the Bahamas to try and get their stuff that had been seized by customs. They were planning on robbing customs. He got Delroy, the $2 million worth of booze guy, to help him rob customs. Oh. That didn't happen. <laughs> okay, good. I really like Delroy. A month after the festival, they went to L.A. Ja Rule was there. Billy was there. They start planning how to make Firefest 2018 happen. And Ja Rule managed to take zero accountability for the whole thing. Like, they were going to put this festival on again. You can't. No. You can't double down. No. You just can't do it. But then the FBI starts coming around because of all the financial fraud. I've already gone over a lot of it, but I I left out that he left like $250,000 on the fire Amex, which an employee is now being sued for. And $150,000 on another employee's personal Amex, which he is now (gasps) responsible for. I mean, this is Anna Delvey on a whole nother level. Yeah. Like, uh uh-uh. People lost a lot of money and a lot of people didn't get paid. The group of locals that built the festival site were never paid. That restaurant owner had 10 people working 24 hours a day, slaving away making food, and she was never paid. She had to pay $50,000 of her own savings to pay them. They just wiped her out. It ruined a lot of people's lives. Bahamians' lives. I don't care about these rich kids. (laughs) (laughs) So the FBI arrested Billy and charged him with wire fraud. Billy says but, uh, none of the charges have to do with the festival. He said, "Okay." He said, <laughs> well, the, "What were you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> he said payments made to vendors or team members are not in question. But the indictment stated that he caused losses to at least eighty vendors, totaling twenty-four million dollars. He says he didn't break the law executing the festival. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't understand how you could say that. What, are you yeah. going to tell me what happened to that little Bahama mama? I am. Yes. Okay. I was worried about her. I, for, 
He was released on $300,000 bail and is almost immediately back to $300,000. Okay, but that's like the price of a villa. (laughs) (laughs) And he's almost immediately back to living large. He's got a penthouse (sighs) in New York. He's getting bottle service at clubs. And no one can figure out how he's paying for all of this. He invited a bunch of people to come and film and get footage of his next venture. Because he was certain that he was not going to jail. His next venture was New York City VIP access, which is basically a rehash of his magnesis scam. Mm -hmm. It was a company that used the fire attendee email list and reached out to all of the fire attendees with an offer of tickets to, like, really exclusive events. The first one was the 2018 Masters. How hard is it to get Uh, Masters tickets? Impossible. The only way you can get it is if you're entered into a lottery. You can't can't buy them. (laughs) He was then selling private flights, Coachella VIP passes. Then he's selling meet and greets with Ed Sheeran, Demi Lovato, Taylor Swift. Is he doing this under his name? Like, are these fire people like, not this guy again? No. Like, (laughs) these attendees? All of these emails are signed Frank. Oh, no. Frank was Frank Tribble. He was 22 or 23 years old. Billy had reached out to him saying he's trying to start this company, but he's in hot water over fire. So he needed Frank to be the face of it. So Frank starts calling people selling tickets to the Grammys. He sold 15 tickets for $100,000. Two of those people actually showed up at the Grammys. They had to be turned away. I don't know what happened to the other 13 people. Frank. Billy is really good at keeping certain information above and below. And so, you know, there was this Reddit thread with this guy who's like, no, I'm friends with Frank. And he like really thought Billy had these tickets. He thought that he had partnered with some sponsorship or something and he really had these tickets, but he didn't. He was selling. Did he not know about the fire fraud? No, he did. Yeah, he did. Okay. He was selling tickets to the Met Gala. But you can't buy tickets to the Met Gala. Attendees have to be approved by Anna Wintour. So it's like the mm-hmm. same thing. Burning Man hadn't sold any tickets, but and no tickets were available, but they were selling tickets to Burning Man. The Victoria's Secret show, they're selling tickets to that. It hadn't even been cast yet. And then the documentary said that Taylor Swift, because they were selling tickets to her meet and greet, they said she's very open about the fact that she doesn't do meet and greets. But I think they must have meant that she doesn't charge for meet and greets because she definitely does meet and greets. Like she holds them well, in her we house. Know she does. Yeah. They were selling things that didn't exist. And I'm sorry, when you're out on bail, that should be the time where you're committing <laughs> the least amount of crimes. <laughs> well, yeah, ideally. Yeah. You know? But it wasn't hard for people to make the connection really quickly between Billy and the NYC VIP access. But at first they thought... You're using the same list. Right. And at first they thought maybe he just sold the email list to this other company. But nope, Billy was behind all of it. So he had his bail revoked and he was sent to jail to start his prison sentence. Great. So he's rearrested. He's charged with five felonies, including fraud, money laundering, identity theft, And witness intimidation because he warned people not to talk to the FBI and told them to lie about having legal representation. He was literally running another scam while he was out on bail. If there is someone I am not taking any heat for, 
It's Billy McFarland. Yeah. No kidding. So Billy was sentenced to six years in a federal prison, and he agreed to a lifetime ban on serving as a corporate officer or director. The judge said, It is my conclusion that the defendant is a serial fraudster and that to date his fraud, like a circle, has no end. Your choices and yours alone are the reasons for your sentence, which is six years in custody. And he agreed to forfeit $26,191,306.28. All to the Bahamas. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's to like these vendors and stuff. It's definitely yeah. not to those locals who worked 24 hours a day practically. But what do you do when you don't have any money and you owe $26 million or whatever that was? That's his problem. Like, what do you do? That is... 100% his problem. He's got 99 of them, yeah. to be exact. <laughs> yeah. But there were a lot of people who helped Billy commit this fraud so they could make money. You know, he's not the only person at fault. Like I know, but I do feel bad for, like, the, what was his name, Andy, or these people oh, that... Oh, yeah, me too. No, I'm talking about like, Grant and Jaw Rule oh. specifically. <laughs> okay. Hey, Grant is now an EMT, and he was fined $30,000, and was named a defendant in the Garagos lawsuit. $30,000, though? I mean, I yeah. owe more than that. <laughs> and student loans. <laughs> Texas State got me worked. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's upsetting. And I have committed no crime. Yeah. So if anyone wants to set up a GoFundMe for that, that'd be tight. Also, Jerry Media, who produced the Netflix documentary, they promoted Firefest until the very end, every day. Four days till we're dancing on the beach. Three days oh, four, till you're... Four, four days out, they're still promoting One day it. out. I mean, it was every day up until. I mean, they were promoting it every day. And even when there were too many red flags to count. And it seems like they made the Firefest documentary on Netflix to paint themselves in this really great light. And a lot of the focus was on the brilliance of that orange square, which is a brilliant marketing move. But that was Orin Axe, you know, with Jerry Media, but it was his idea. And not so much focus on how they were still out there promoting Firefest the day people started arriving in the Bahamas. And Fuck Jerry was also named in the Garagos lawsuit. Also, Ja Rule. Ja Rule said that it was his idea, his vision the whole time. But he has somehow managed to escape this whole thing with no culpability. And Billy even says, no, none of it is his fault. And I'm like, he was there every step of the way. What do you mean this wasn't his fault? Yeah. Like at least do 50-50. Yeah. Billy is currently in prison where he is teaching a class in music entrepreneurship to inmates. Entrepreneurship. Uh-huh. So he's got his next venture already started, I guess. Oh, man. And the local Bahamians have still not been paid, and they are owed thousands of dollars. Oh, but oh my gosh. Please tell me we have a... I have an update on that. Charity that we're going to... I do. So Marianne Rolls, it's R-O-L-L-E-S. I think it's Rolls. Might be Royes or Roll. I'm not sure. She's Royes. She's the woman who... Two L's make a Y sound for people. In Spanish. In Bahamas. Well, I know, yeah. but I was just... Why we said Royes. Right. The She's the woman who owned the restaurant in the documentary. She has a GoFundMe that has raised 237000 of a $250,000 goal. And it's still active. And I will link the oh. GoFundMe in our show notes. 
Yes, that's going to be our charity yeah. for the pod. Oh, yeah. Ah. So I will have that link in our show notes if you feel so inclined. I think it's just for her in the restaurant. I thought maybe it was going to be for like all the workers. But I'm, I am I mean, she paid her workers out of her own money. So that's why she's yeah. in this place that she's at. Mm. And that is the story of the wildest the wildest shit I've heard since last week, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, peeps and creeps. We'd love for you to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Follow us on all social media at Creepers Pod. And you can also email us any feedback or case suggestions or any foundations or charities that you think would be a great one for us to support at creeperspod at gmail.com. And thank you all so much for listening. And a big thanks to everyone who has left us a review on Apple Podcasts. They help us out so much. We love reading them. And so if you liked this episode, you have an iPhone, we'd love it if you take a minute to give us a five-star rating and a review. We are like 25-ish away Mm -hmm. from our goal of 200. So, oh my gosh, we're so close. Yeah, it's so fun. Hype us up. I love reading. <laughs> I love reading reviews. She's They've like, gotten very just creative. give me compliments. <laughs> yeah, it's like my performance review. It's like a public performance. Right. But the negative ones can go to our email at yeah, creeperspod like, at gmail.com. You just email my supervisor at creeperspod at gmail.com. We would love your constructive criticism just uh, in our email. That would be great. <laughs> yeah. It's tight. And be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you'll have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. Bye, peeps and creeps. <laughs>